0: In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I am Zach Heilprin. He's the Athletics. Jesse Temple. Badgers go on the road, get a win at Nebraska. They beat them 15 to 14. They overcome an 11 point deficit in the fourth quarter their first fourth quarter comeback since 2018 when they beat purdue uh it was a uh, unconventional way to get it done but wisconsin did and they uh, have now beaten nebraska nine straight times they are bowl eligible for a 21st straight season and they're going to have a new coach very very soon we learned last night that the job has been posted officially so a seven-day waiting period and then uh, the, the new coach will be announced, and uh, obviously that is going to be Jim Leonard. And we'll get into – we'll talk about that uh, a little bit coming up and kind of what we expect out of that whole situation and uh, also get to your Twitter questions and uh, and much more. But let's – first, Jesse, let's start with the game because, I don't know, I mean, I, I, a lot of people call it ugly, right? Gritty, not pretty. It doesn't really matter how you get it done. Wisconsin found some late offense – Graham Mertz found some late, uh, a late big throw to Isaac Arendo, and they were able to get it done. I, I don't want to call it. It was, I don't want to say it was improbable, but eh, it kind of was the way that it went down.
1: It was pretty damn improbable, Zach. I, Nebraska is a bad football team. Let's be clear about that. However, when that fourth quarter started Wisconsin hadn't scored a touchdown in five quarters (laughs) dating to the first half of the Iowa game. And Honestly, there was very little reason to believe that the Badgers were going to be able to suddenly figure it out because they hadn't done it, and they deserve a lot of credit. And, and I understand both sides of the coin here of, well, Wisconsin shouldn't have been in that position. Nebraska's not very good. So what if they beat a terrible Nebraska team by one point? But that's a really big deal for a lot of different reasons. And I think it once again highlighted the, the character and the fight that these guys have And the toughness that they're playing with under Jim Leonard and certainly one outcome shouldn't indicate that Jim Leonard should have the job but I think that was a further illustration of just how hard this team is playing and I give Graham Mertz uh, a lot of credit because one thing that we learned after the game, and this is another thing that I certainly enjoy about covering Jim Leonard is he will be honest with you and tell you what's actually happening And, and not he won't reveal everything but Things we certainly wouldn't—I mean, Paul Chris never would have said that at halftime that they were considering uh, making a change at quarterback, and and uh, you know he certainly has every right to say or not say what he wants to to reporters. But Jim said they were having serious conversations about what to do because Graham had an awful first half. It was very windy. He wasn't very good, and they liked the look in his eyes, and he had—they felt he had a lot more to give, and he pulled it off. Two scoring drives. Certainly, it wasn't pretty, but. The group as a whole deserves a lot of credit on top of the fact that, as we know, it was a tremendously difficult week for the team dealing with uh, learning of the death of former teammate Devin Chandler. They all learned that on Monday morning and had to go through uh, a morning process of of their own to pull themselves together and play. So th- there's a lot of topics that we can get into, but it was very improbable is what I would say about that fourth quarter. I, I did not think it was coming. I just thought, well, a bad season is about
0: to get worse. So where do we go with uh, credit then, because uh, I know that you mentioned Graham Mertz, and he de- he made definitely uh, the the throw to Isaac Rendo. He had the sneak in for the touchdown. He made some other uh, solid plays. I mean, who deserves the most credit then for that that comeback in your mind? Well, I'd like to sure. give a shout out to the defense. <laughs> yeah, third straight game of under two hundred yards.
1: Yeah, like Iowa had one hundred forty six yards of total offense in Nebraska. Keep in mind, every time we've seen Nebraska in recent history, they have shredded Wisconsin's defense. Adrian Martinez threw for 351 yards last year. And in 2019, the last time these teams played in Lincoln, Nebraska rolled up 493 yards of total offense. And sure, Wisconsin won those games. But, you know, in the words of the the great Bart Scott, they couldn't stop a nosebleed, Wisconsin's defense. And so for them to come out and do what they did uh, was huge. And... I don't know whether this is an underrated part of that game, but like they don't win that game if Wisconsin's defense doesn't force the three and out with less than five minutes left. Ne- Nebraska took possession at its own 11 yard line with 458 remaining and had a 14 to nine lead. And less than two minutes later, Nebraska was punting, which helped set up the game winning score. And so I think the defense deserves a lot of credit just for staying with it this whole season, keeping Wisconsin in most games. And also we should mention doing it without the best defensive player on the team in, in Nick Herbig, which is another storyline to this game since he was ejected uh, for targeting and then straight up ejected from the field for running on and celebrating a touchdown.
0: Yeah, that was a brutal day for, for, for Nick Herbig, but yes, the defense stood up. I thought Keanu Benton can, again continues to be dominant in the middle. What they're doing right now I want to give the defense credit. I want to give them a ton of credit because their offense has put them in a lot of bad positions this year, just like it did last year. I also say the weather has to play a little bit of a factor. Uh, They were able to, both teams were able to move the ball going left to right and not so much right to left. And so I think having the wind there in that fourth quarter, as I was sitting here, I was kind of like, I mean, if they're going to make a move here, it's going to be with the wind. And, um, you know, we saw Nate Benzel's 39 yard kick, not even make, it to the uh, the uprights in the first half going that that direction so the the weather has played a factor these last few weeks when they've been able to hold them hold them down but that doesn't mean that they haven't gotten the needed stops in the right moments and that's exactly what the defense did yesterday and again I, I don't know how much credit we'll give Alex Smith I think he deserves a bunch of credit but since he's returned to the regular lineup they've been a really stout defense and again I I don't want to give him all the the credit there's been a whole lot of uh, improvement especially at inside linebacker and, some other places on the defense, but now that they're relatively healthy uh, on defense, it's, uh, I think it's kind of shown up in what we've seen these last few weeks and stopping the run is, is the biggest key. And they were able to do that against Nebraska, just like they were able to get, do it against Iowa and do it against Maryland. So yeah, it's, it's a good stretch for that defense for sure. Do we want to talk about the Nick Herbert targeting penalty? We've got it. You're right. There's a, there are a ton of storylines. Let's, let's talk about the Nick Herbert uh, penalty just real quickly. Sure. I thought it was, I thought it was innocent. I thought the hit yeah. was innocent. And yet at the same time, by the letter of the law, it was the right call. The fact that it happened when it did in the second half is a huge hit because it's going to knock him out likely for the first half against Minnesota. There is a new rule this year. The uh, the conference office can request a review from the national coordinator of officials, and they can review it. And if they deem it to be not the right call or, or something, otherwise it can be overturned and, and he would be able to play the first half. That said, I don't think it's going to be overturned just based on what happened even though i think it was innocent and i don't think it was like this big hit and i think he kind of pulled up to an extent but just based on where we are in college football it feels like they're not going to have him for the first half against minnesota that's how i see it i have a difficult time
1: seeing how it would be overturned mostly because it was a situation where the quarterback was attempting to slide and and nick i mean these are just really hard because they're bang bang plays and the angles change so quickly but it was a shoulder to helmet contact on a quarterback who was trying to slide. And even yeah. though I have no doubt that that was not his intent, um, that's what happened. And by the letter of the law, you know, that's why they ejected him for targeting. That's why it was held up. And so I, I think we're going to not see him until the second half against Minnesota. And Hey, maybe he'll have a, a, a vintage, uh three sack Jack itchy type of game. Cause uh, we know that he's capable of it. But I think the juxtaposition of the play with Isaac Arendo a week earlier when that clearly should have been targeting, it just makes you scratch your head about the lack of consistency in these types of things.
0: And I know that people were also upset about the hit on Graham on the two-point conversion when he took a a pretty hard hit that that may have been targeting. Um, So some of the things have not gone Wisconsin's way uh, in that regard these these last two games, and that is what it is. Uh, I want to go back to – to the Graham merch thing you mentioned they, they thought about benching him did that surprise you at all that yes. there was there was talk about it now I shouldn't even say that the, the idea that he talked about in the press conference that's surprising but the idea that they were actually considering it um in that moment and for him to come out and say it I mean I, I mean Graham has had uh, a a good year He's run into a little bit of uh, some issues these last few games. I don't think, you know, and there's certainly aspects to it. His guy's not catching passes, but the, I mean, the interception was just a horrible decision. So I, I can kind of see where they're coming from, but I, we also know what's behind them.
1: And that's why it surprised me. And and certainly if you just look on paper and, and on the field at what he did in the first half, it warranted consideration because by halftime Graham was four of 10 for 19 yards. And he had that terrible interception. And And he said afterward, I mean, he attributed it to the wind, but Mm. that's also a throw that you can't make if it's that windy, um, which is, I think, you know, he's got a lot of arm strength and he wants to use it, but sometimes you've got to make the smart play and anybody who watched the replay could see, and I realize we're armchair quarterbacking, but Chimere Dike is open at about the 45-yard line. He's got him underneath, and Skylar Bell was open over the top, sure, but uh, in that kind of wind, you've got to make the smart play, and it wasn't a good throw. The wind didn't help. And that obviously set was uh, Nebraska up with good field position and led to the first touchdown. And so having said all that, it still surprised me because as you said, we know what's behind Graham and, and uh, Jim was asked to follow up for his last question about just to clarify who would have been the backup. And he said, it, it would have been chase Wolf. And, and I just, we've seen enough of chase that I don't think he is the better option for Wisconsin. And and he could give you a spark potentially, but um uh, it did surprise me, but if nothing else, you know, Graham could look at it like it's a bit of an eye opener that I mean, nothing is nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is certain, even though you're a three year starter. If, if you're putting Wisconsin in a bad spot, even you kind of could be your spot could be on the line for a half. So, I mean, again, he he deserves a lot of credit. Now, he said after the game that those kinds of discussions weren't surprising based on how he had played, but that he, he quote unquote said it never really affected him. I don't know if that's true or not, yeah. but I think I think the way he played in the fourth quarter shows his ability to bounce back and um I mean the dude is tough like you can say what you want about <laughs> about Graham and not living up to expectations and, uh, and and all the things that he hasn't been but mentally I think he's he's shown some toughness and physically God he's been beaten up uh he's been picking himself up off the canvas the entire second half of the season and and hasn't really talked about everything that he's gone through but he did acknowledge after the game that there were some practices where uh he did not practice uh at least not fully in I don't know if there was a practice this week where he practiced fully and so um I think it says a lot about Graham to do what he was able to do in the end
0: yeah and that's where the idea of potentially going into that game he wasn't going to play um but the same thing with Braylon Allen like you just can't keep him off the field like if they're if they're cleared, they're going to play and and you're going to have to make a decision as a coach, whether they give you the best chance. And you're right. Chase Wolf may have given them a spark. He also may have come in and thrown another interception. So, I mean, those are, that's, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, you just, we haven't seen Chase uh, in extended play since probably what, what game was that last year? Eastern Michigan. Was that the last time we saw him uh, extended minutes and maybe, or maybe even the Notre Dame game. Did he get in late in the Notre game? I don't remember. I don't, I can't remember whether he... No, no, you know what it was? It was the Michigan game where, where Graham got hit and he got knocked out of the game early in the second half and he played the rest of the way. And it, Yeah, I mean, there are... He has some skills that Graham doesn't. Namely, he can get out and move around a little bit, but he just... I mean, if, if you have an issue with Graham Mertz turning the ball over, then I don't know how you can sit here and say you want Chase Wolf to be in there just based on what we've seen. That's based on what we've seen. That's all we can go by. Either way, they didn't make that decision. Again, I... Where do you think Graham is at right now, like mentally and where he feels his place is in this mm. program? Well, I mean, he's an unquestioned
1: leader of the team by nature of the fact that he's been a three-year starting quarterback. I, I really don't know. Um, I I I would, I hope we have the opportunity to ask him that in spring practice when he's had a little distance from this season. I think it's been every year that he's been here as a starter, each year has been uniquely challenging. Right. Like obviously 2020 with the you have the greatest game of your life and you look like a Heisman candidate and then you get COVID and then half the team gets COVID and the season is ruined. And last year he didn't play up to anybody's level of expectations. He threw more interceptions than touchdowns and and was not very good in a game that mattered the most against Minnesota. And this year for I mean, he's had really great moments and he's also had some some really low moments. And so, uh, I mean, he continues to show up. And I think that says a lot. But I have to imagine that this has been a, a tough season in, in every capacity, mentally, physically, emotionally, for for a quarterback of a team that hasn't played very well, or the, the coach got fired, and, and frankly, your play is partly responsible for it, um, which is something that I think he acknowledged after uh, Paul Christ was fired. Those guys took some responsibility for for uh, their performance.
0: Clearly, you expect him to be in Madison for spring practice. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that's become a question of late. Um obviously
1: I'm not in Graham's head and at this point don't have any inside information, but I, I personally would be surprised if he's not in Madison. Um, I mean, he's got the opportunity to be a four-year starter, but I think there's also some caveats to the whole thing and that we don't know what the future holds for this offense. Now we'll get into the fact that certainly appears that Jim Leonard's going to be the coach. And I think it's pretty clear. They need to overhaul, this offense in a major way, whether that's a, a new offensive coordinator or going to the transfer portal and trying to find a new quarterback. I mean, if you do that, that may change things, but there's a lot of factors at play and, and that, you know, there's a possibility where Graham, as I've said before, will have a fourth offensive coordinator and a fourth quarterback coach in four seasons. And that's a lot. On the other hand, I would ask, where where are you going to go? Where are you going to be in a better position to be a leader and a starter? Um, again, that may change with a, a transfer situation, but right now I think he'll be back.
0: I mean, I think it certainly does revolve around what does Jim Leonard want the offense to look like? Yes. Um, If he wants it to be, if he wants it to look a little bit different and uh, obviously they are recruiting pro-style quarterbacks and they, you know, still are, but it's possible that he wants a a different look back there. Uh, Mm -hmm. A a guy that potentially, the way that offenses challenge his defense, maybe he wants a similar guy to be able to challenge uh, opposing uh, defenses the same way. And, And we'll see. Again, I... I think it's uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly where he wants to go with his philosophy and, and where he wants to go offensively, and then who's going to be back and who's not going to be back. And I think I think personally, uh, it's going to be a significant changeover um, yeah. on, the, on the offensive side of the ball in the coaching staff. So we'll see how that plays out when and if I should say when uh, he decides to make starts making those decisions after the bowl game. But I think there's at least a chance that he's not that he's not back. Grammar that is. We'll see though the other guy that's playing dinged up is Braylon Allen. He's clearly not a hundred percent. He's got shoulder and he had the shoulder injury. That's that's clearly every time he falls on it, looks like it's the most painful thing he's ever felt in his entire life. And then he got dinged up at the ankle and we, we, you know, we saw him break off that long run. Uh, was that the second touchdown or that was the first touchdown drive. They broke off the long run and he didn't look anywhere close to health. He usually he's, he's never been a sprinter, but he's certainly moving faster than he did on that play. And, you know, maybe looking to score as opposed to just, you know, ending up going out of bounds. But that said, he's clearly healthy enough to play. Do you agree with their decision to to keep throwing him in there, especially now that, and again, I mean, what do you end up with? 20, 20 carries, 21 carries. And Ches had 22 carries or something like that. They both had around 20 carries and then Isaac Rendo yeah. had five.
1: Braylon had so, 18 for 92. Ches had 21 for 98. And I think Isaac had nine for 42.
0: Yeah. All right. So, they're all spreading carries around. Do you yep. think Do you think they should rely on Malusia and Grendel a little bit more? Well,
1: the thing is they are, or they did. Uh, I mean, you look at that game, and, and there was a, a constant rotation of guys, and it was a situation where guys were rotating on the same series because that's something that, I mean, early in the season, like Braylon would just get the ball seemingly every time. Um, they're in a spot, and Leonard has talked about this, where Braylon it's about pain management or how much you can tolerate it's a situation where the shoulder they don't feel is going to get worse but you watch that game and he's coming off the field and his left arm is just dangling at his side because he's in so much pain and and then the last carry when he got dropped for a loss was when he hurt his ankle and he had to be helped off the field and couldn't put any weight on it um I mean, he he came out. He was the first one who came out to talk to reporters, and he was the only guy. He was still in full uniform, and he had like the, um, the uh, like thing over his face, literally just coming right off the field, so he could get in and get out and, and get in to get treatment. But he talked about how he's been hurting. Um, I think it says a lot about him and and the toughness that he's showing. And I mean, look, if you're a football player, especially a star football player, you want to play. You want all the opportunities you can get, and it's a tough spot because they want to manage his load and he wants to be out there. So I guess it's a situation now of, you know, you've got two games left and then you're going to spend a lot of the off season trying to get better. But what a incredible time for Ches Lucy to come back from that right, right wrist injury that he suffered against Northwestern back on October 8th. He was ready to go. He had practiced the week before and just wasn't quite ready to play uh, against Iowa. And he gives you such a lift that I think you can at least scale back with Braylon. And it's quite a luxury to have an Isaac Arrendo as your third running back because obviously a huge playmaker. And we saw in the past game.
0: Yeah. What, what a ridiculous catch, man. What a what an amazing, what an amazing catch. Um, And I'll give you got to give Graham some credit too. was able to buy some time Mm -hmm. with his feet and move out to the right. And that's not an overly easy throw, but it looked like it was going to be a wheel route. And then uh, the guy kind of played him outside. So Isaac took it inside and, if you're gonna, I, I'm taking Isaac Grendo over anybody, you in, in a race. I don't care who it is on the other, you know, especially if it's, you know, it's not a cornerback and that was not a cornerback trying to stay with him. I'm, I'm taking Isaac Grendo every day, and he uh, made a made a great play. He's made two great catches this year. That obviously the touchdown against Illinois was a great catch, and then this one um, out of the backfield, just a fantastic grab and set up, you know, the go ahead touchdown. Just great, absolutely great. And and you think you think maybe maybe you get another year out of him. Uh, if he wants to come back i know that was something that he hadn't decided on or was going to make that decision he's got the covid year we'll see if he wants to or not i probably matter i guess it depends on what happens ahead of him with with Braylon and with with chaz cuz both of them could be back as well so i guess we'll see how that plays out all right you want to get into the jim lunder thing um yeah
1: let's do it it's obviously the most important topic from the weekend so here yeah we
0: go. for for sure wisconsin uh, after wisconsin becomes bowl eligible for the 21st straight year Uh, they post the job. Uh, The official posting that needs to be done legally was posted last night. And while there are, I mean, they not necessarily have to uh, appoint a coach next Monday or next, whenever, whenever, after the seven day thing, they don't necessarily have to do it right away. It, It opens this up and they've probably got some other boxes to check, but all indications obviously are that Jim Leonard's going to be the guy. I don't think that's, I don't think we've wavered too much from that this entire time. Uh, I'm sure that there were some other names that uh, Chris McIntosh was uh, talking to and and uh, feeling out and seeing potentially one way or the other. But we all think it's going to be Jim Leonard. And whenever that that press conference does happen, I'm wondering for you, Jesse, what's your one question for Chris McIntosh uh, about this process and about his decision, do you think? Ooh,
1: wow, I wasn't expecting you to ask that, and I feel like I'd need more time. Um... <laughs> I mean, I I probably want to know questions that we might, we won't get the answers to. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, right. Like, um, obviously he's been silent on this front for the the vast majority of this time frame. And I'd love to know what his thought process was and when he realized that Jim was going to be the guy and who he talked to and why he believed Jim was, should be the guy going forward. Um, I think we'll get the answers to some of that, but in terms of the inner workings going on behind the scenes, I'm not sure that we will. Um, But those are the uh, initial thoughts that come to mind is, uh, is what I, what I laid out.
0: So you wrote a a couple of things coming out of the game, obviously your, your takeaways and, your love for Graham Mertz was one of them, right? That was, was that
1: is that the top I one? I wouldn't say it was my love for Graham Mertz. okay, sorry it was it was the
0: credit it was the credit to Graham Mertz. the credit to Graham Mertz for doing what he was able to do and, and overcoming some of the things that he did. And the second one was' an, you get you get an opportunity sometimes to write opinion eh, I should say uh, would you call it an opinion piece? I think it's an opinion piece uh, a column yeah, column It's a column, it's a column mm-hmm. uh, and you wrote it about Jim Leonard should be the next head coach of Wisconsin when you were writing that. What was your idea behind it, and what were you what was your biggest goal in in trying to get across why you think he should be the next head coach?
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack with this. And I think some people look at the score and say, "Oh, Wisconsin beat a crappy Nebraska team by one point and required a fourth quarter comeback. And Wisconsin hasn't beaten any great teams during Leonard's run. Like, why should he deserve the job? Um I think it's the totality of what he's accomplished here in the seven weeks since Paul Christ was fired. You look at, his leadership you look at the way that these players revere him and i understand that you can't always trust players because if it were up to them they wouldn't have wanted paul christ fired but it does say something the way that they've essentially unanimous unanimously rallied around leonard um i think if he's not the guy there's a mass exodus to the transfer portal um and obviously He's had so many other job opportunities that he would wind up somewhere else and you would lose the opportunity to have this guy potentially lead your program for the future. Um, so it's a lot of things uh, going four and two helps. Like it was to me, never about just solely what the record was going to be because as we said before, that was never going to be fair. He inherited a team that was two and three that quit against Illinois, basically with a coaching staff, he didn't hire. And a lot of these issues were not going to magically solve themselves in the middle of the season. So what he needed to do was help this team be more competitive and play with toughness and fire and passion. And he's talked about that repeatedly that even though the execution hasn't always been there for the most part, they have played in that fashion. And so I think they've made good strides. I mean, you know, I don't, I think your question was probably like one thing and I'm laying out everything, but I just think, I, I just think there's so, I think there's so many reasons why he is the guy moving forward He's got, obviously, he's got a vision for what he wants this place to be. He's got an innate and unique understanding of the the things that you have to do to succeed at a program like Wisconsin. And yet also, he was on staff with Paul Chris, so he had an opportunity to see what didn't work. And he's had an opportunity to make some small changes here. There were never going to be big changes, but like even the the tweak on Mondays where walkthroughs are now in the evening instead of the morning, that's something that has already been beneficial because it gives coaches more time to plan and players know what the game plan is going to be by the time they actually get it instead of having it changed midweek. And so I think those are all parts of it. I certainly have a lot of questions about what the the future is going to hold. And I thought initially when you asked me what question I would have for Chris McIntosh, I thought you were gonna ask me what question I would have for Jim Leonard because there's so much that's to be determined, but I think all those things add up and the, the the ability for him to help this team battle through adversity I think is something that is, is notable. I mean, six days after the the Paul Christ firing, they go and beat yes, a bad Northwestern team, but it was inspired football this week. They're reeling from the death of a former teammate and they go out and they play, um, again with toughness and find a way to win, even though it wasn't pretty. And you and I have talked about this on the show previously, but I do think there's something to be said for the fact that he has excelled in every facet of football he has encountered during his life. Um, that does not guarantee you will succeed as a head coach but to me it speaks to a certain level of confidence that he has in his own talent and an ability to execute at the highest levels and if you just strictly want to look at what he's done as a coach for him to become an assistant two years after being retired and the defensive coordinator three years later and then lead one of the best defenses in the country consistently for six years says a hell of a lot about his coaching acumen and i something i mentioned in the column was I recently talked to Donna Shalala for a story about the good old Don Morton days. Um, And she was obviously the chancellor that helped spearhead the change with Barry. But she's told me this multiple times that when, when she hired Pat Richter and, and Richter was going through the search of candidates, the thing that he kept coming back to when he would talk to Shalala Why he liked Barry Alvarez among the reasons was that he felt defensive coordinators are important as coaches because they understand the offense. And I think that there's something to be said for that too, that because he's had so much success defensively, he understands uniquely, I think, what an offense needs to stress a defense. Now there's a lot of stuff that he's got to answer, but the last point that I would make here, and I know I've made a lot, are I can hear people say, well, what about Matt Rule or what about Dave Aranda or what about Lance Leipold? And certainly there are a lot of quality candidates that would be a possibility. And and Chris McIntosh, while, with hiring a search firm, certainly owed it to this university to, to do all the background and see who would be available. There's no guarantee that anybody else could come in and, and be more successful or as successful or, or turn the program around. It's a crapshoot. We've seen it repeatedly in coaching. And the other thing to consider is, there's no guarantee that people are just going to be lining up out the door to come to Wisconsin. Remember what happened 10 years ago when Brett Bielma left and they brought in Gary Anderson. So, you know, you may as a fan have a wish list of somebody that you think should be the coach, but that doesn't mean he wants to come here. Um, and he may already be making more money than he would make here. So I think all those reasons add up. And the loyalty factor, too, right? I mean, Leonard could have gone a lot of different places and he wants to help win championships here. So there is a buy in on his part and a buy in from the players. To me, all that adds up to make him the overwhelming choice in my mind.
0: You bring up the loyalty aspect of it. Do you think the way Wisconsin got burned with with Brett Bilma, the way that things went with Gary Anderson almost guaranteed that this was gonna be the, the next head coach was gonna be somebody, you know, from within? No, there's gonna be I don't. somebody okay. All right. You don't think that there's you don't think there's any uh I think that... hangover and like scars? From I think, potentially hiring a guy that could potentially go somewhere else afterwards.
1: No, I think I think I would say that about the Paul Christ hire. Like you needed to bring in a guy who, and I remember talking that that was a talking point at Paul Christ's introductory news conference about making this that so-called destination job because there had been concerns. Well, you have two coaches leaving a two-year span. What does this say about Wisconsin? But I mean, we're we're eight years removed from the the last hire, seven years removed, and and there's a new athletic director here. And so I think Macintosh would, would want to do what's best for the program. Um, and if that meant bringing in somebody else, you know, you have to feel like that they're going to be here and, and try to support this program in the best way possible. But it's certainly a bonus that you've got Jim Leonard here who wants to be here and wants to build something great because of his background here.
0: Yeah. Th- look, there's no uh, guarantee that this is actually going to happen like within the next seven days. You know what I mean? Like there, there's no it doesn't have to happen. So I think a lot of people are expecting it to happen but it doesn't have to happen. So why post this now? Why why do this now? Uh, I I know the reason and I think a lot of people uh, otherwise know the reason but is this as much as, you know, losing commits like they have or is it, you know, bow eligibility like what what do you think triggered this for them to post the position? Again, I know they don't have to hire somebody within 7 days or in the next 7 days, but we all know how Wisconsin has done it in the past and as soon as you you know, seven days as soon as you, you hit that thing, you, they have their guy. Again, that was a Paul Chris thing. Maybe it's not the same thing with Chris McIntosh, but why now? Why honestly why at this
1: point? I, I think if Wisconsin had beaten Iowa, we would have seen it posted last week. I think optics matter in this situation. Um, so the fact that it's coming off the wind doesn't hurt. But the notion of having some potential clarity, I think, is important. And Jim Leonard used that word clarity uh, in his post-game press conference on Saturday. And he said multiple times that he hopes that a decision comes sooner rather than later, because there are a lot of deadlines to meet. And I think that's the other aspect to consider here is this is a, a job that really has got to be filled by the first week in December at the latest, because the 45 day transfer portal window opens December 5th, which is the day after the conference championship games. And, I don't feel like it would be fair to the players if you had all this time and didn't have something in place because they need to know what their future is. And then the early signing period runs December 21st to 23rd. And since we lasted a show, obviously Wisconsin lost two more players in the 2023 recruiting class, two players in the span of two hours on a Thursday. Um, and those guys, that that really hurts. And I, I mean, again, like McIntosh has to do what's best. And sometimes that means sacrificing some things in the short term for the long-term, but it sort of hits home that you see what happens when things are up in the air for a long time. There is uncertainty and people don't know what to do, and that's not beneficial for the program in the long-term either.
0: All right, this is a big-picture question that's going to be probably pretty tough to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Do you think Wisconsin will be more successful under Jim Leonard than they were under Paul Christ? Wow. Um, And so while I let you... Well, I'll let you think about that. Can I let you? I'll let you think about it for a second. Just, and I'll lay out, you know, what Paul Christ was able to do in his time at Wisconsin. I mean, uh, obviously, three Big Ten West titles. He's the third winningest coach at Wisconsin. He he won close to 70% of his games. There's a lot to, to now he didn't win a Big Ten title, but he put himself, they put him, they were quite close to both making the playoff in 2017. They had great seasons in 2016 and 2019. So there, there is, there is something to reach there. But do you think they can be more successful? And I guess it depends how you value the word success and what exactly you determine to be successful. But um, that's why I told you it was going to be a hard question to answer.
1: Well, when you asked the question, I went straight to the fact that Chris had his team play in three Big Ten championship games and go to three New Year's Six Bowl games in the first five years that he was here. So my definition of
0: including the Orange Bowl. Yes, including the very, the, 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 the very important Orange Bowl. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah,
1: hey, you know you can mock it if you want, but they went thirteen and one and, and beat a team in a de facto road game. But either way, in my mind, <laughs> sorry, in my mind, um, the way for Wisconsin to surpass that would be to win a Big Ten championship, and I don't know if I have the answer to that right now because I have a hard time seeing. Wisconsin being on that level where they can go out and beat Ohio state in the big 10 championship game. I mean, we just saw them play Ohio state and get whooped and Ohio state's not getting worse. And I mean, there's a lot of factors in play here. And I think no matter what Wisconsin does, they're never going to be on a level recruiting wise of what Ohio state is now. And, and because the gap is so wide, it kind of takes that perfect season. That's really, really special. I would never put it past uh, Jim Leonard because again, he's had success at every level that he's been at and he says that he has a vision and a plan and he acknowledged again on Saturday that things are going to need to change assuming he is the permanent coach so it it would be nice to have an understanding of what changes he would ultimately make should he earn this job which we believe that will happen but I, I don't know I mean I don't know if I can sit here and say that whoever the next coach would be that Wisconsin is going to win a big 10 championship. Now we're we're talking about a decade since that's happened for the Badgers. And it is harder than ever to do that. And it's going to get even harder when there's no more divisions and you can't just roll through the West. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm sit here, I'm sitting here wondering whether that would be the case. Um, but at the same time, they were going backwards the last three years under Chris. So you you've got to get to a place where that can be, the consistent part of the competing for big 10 championships and giving yourself a chance
0: is uh real quick. is, is uh Jim Launder taking over a better program or a worse program than Paul Chris took over.
1: Ooh, another good question, Zach. Um, a better program. Uh, I mean, you know, Chris, like Gary Anderson, I think all the things that have been discussed, like, you know, Paul needed to kind of rebuild the offensive line and, and all those things. And I think Wisconsin is a better program as a whole. Um, but again, like the gap keeps getting wider and wider for what it means to be at the top level in the big 10. And that's what makes this hard.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, it's not getting any easier, as you said, uh, with, with uh, we'll see where they go with the I mean, if they're going to have 20 plus teams they are going to have to have divisions um, in some form or fashion. Uh, obviously when UCLA and, U.S.C. come in; they don't need to, but uh, I I can't see them just having a straight <laughs> without having any anything else. Once they if they were to to reach that twenty, we'll see. That's that's down the line, and uh, we'll see how that um, all that plays out. All right, let's get into your Twitter questions. Uh, we'll start with this: uh, Wisconsin is playing Minnesota this week, Jesse. I don't know if you heard about that or not. Um, they will uh, they will play for the axe. They'll look to get the axe back after losing twenty three to thirteen uh, up in Minneapolis last year. I already saw on instagram uh alex smith sent out a story with uh with a picture of the empty case saying i need it um so <laughs> he is ready for axe week i know a lot of fans are as well it's a big game uh brian asks good gram or bad gram which one is showing up next week <laughs> well if i had to answer some of
1: these questions i'd just go to vegas and become a millionaire um <laughs> you know it's it's gonna be cold it's probably not gonna be ideal passing uh I think they're going to run the ball a ton, but um, I'll go. I'll go. Good Graham. I think he'll build on the the fourth quarter that he had against uh against Nebraska, and they're certainly going to need it.
0: It uh, it will. I mean, they need it. Obviously, uh, Minnesota's defense is quite good. We saw them. Their defense deserved better against Iowa last night. I mean, Iowa just finds their their defense just makes the clutchest plays at, at the at the most crucial times. It seems like all the time. Minnesota just. <laughs> Minnesota dominated that. I mean, I wouldn't say dominated that game, but I mean, gosh, uh, Mo Ibrahim had 200 and some odd yards rushing against that Iowa defense that shut Wisconsin down. I mean, maybe, maybe we give Wisconsin some credit. Maybe they wore him down the week before. I don't know. But that Iowa defense doesn't normally get run on like that. And, and Mo Ibrahim's just going to be an absolute load. So, yeah, I think the offense is going to have to step up. You, you you mentioned the weather. I think they may actually get a bit of a break here. Uh, it's it's early, um, but it's calling for uh, 47 degrees. Now it's will it be 47 degrees at 230 or at 430 when the sun's down probably not but i think really it's about the wind and the wind supposed to be eight miles an hour gusting to 16 compared to what they've had these last couple weeks last three weeks uh this these might be the best conditions they play in um so we'll see again that's still a ways off here but they need the good gram to show up i think that's fair to say um all right uh rory says uh we all know there's only one trophy that matters uh we, we do know that Uh, It's it's the axe. I don't know if that's the only trophy matters, Uh, but it was the freedom trophy. Yeah, but he says, how does the program treat the other two trophies since they lost one last week and kept another? So they have trophy cases in their locker room for all of them. Um, So they treat them, I think, all the same. However, I think when you're running to grab the freedom freedom trophy, it's not exactly the same run that you have to grab the Heartland trophy and certainly not the run you have to go grab the axe. And maybe it's just because it's a bigger trophy and a little bit more difficult to to deal with than the the axe, but the freedom trophy, I I, I sarcastically said the historic freedom trophy is going to be staying in Madison. Um, It's, it's been around since 2014. There's no history to it. There's no history to the rivalry. So like there, there's just, it's it's not at that level. The Heartland trophy means something, even though it's only been around since 2005 because it's Iowa and Wisconsin, but the ax is just on a different level.
1: Yep, no doubt about it. The Axe has been around since 1948. And you know what they don't do with the other two trophies when you have it? They don't keep it out for everybody to see at practice so you can touch it uh, right. like every moment. And they don't educate the players early in the week by telling them stories about why this rivalry matters so much. So they're just on different – they're in different stratospheres. This game is the game, and it
0: matters the most. Uh, Tim says – Tim's got three questions here. Uh, he says, when was the last time a targeting call actually benefited the Badgers? That's a very good question, and one I don't have an answer to. But it's it's been a while, hasn't it? Like, I can't remember the last time a player got kicked out against Wisconsin. I'm sure somebody will have that off the top of their head. I don't. <laughs>
1: I would have to look it up. I don't know. But it does seem like the vast majority are ones where we talk about guys on Wisconsin getting ejected.
0: Uh, better long-term program outlook. Badgers with a new coach, assuming it's Jim Leonard. Or Minnesota with PJ Fleck?
1: Um, uh, uh, I'll go Badgers with a new coach. Uh, you know, Fleck, I feel like had the golden moment a couple years ago where the Gophers were on the verge of undefeated regular season and going to the Big Ten championship. And they haven't quite been to that level. And I, I think, I mean, look, we're not too far removed from Wisconsin winning that series 14 years in a row. I know they're two and two the last four here, but I think I can see the Badgers getting back to a high level.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this schedule this year for Minnesota really set up really nicely and they were unable to take advantage of it. You know, they, they didn't play Michigan. They didn't play Ohio state. They did play Penn state, but again, there were a lot of things that were in their, in their favor, getting Iowa at home, you know, getting Purdue at home. Obviously they were gonna have to come to Wisconsin, but they let some, they left a prime opportunity slip through, th- slip through their fingers. Um, especially with so many upperclassmen, so many, uh, seniors and, and six year seniors that, yeah, it's, that's a it's a tough year. Tough year. I, I, I think Wisconsin has better outlook as well. So I think the next time Minnesota gets to be a really, really good team, I think P.J. Fleck will leave. That's just my opinion on him. Um, Tim also. This is his last question. He goes top three and bottom three potential bowl locations based on Zach's willingness to attend. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was going through the bowl games that Wisconsin potentially go to. I don't know if there are six that are in the, are in play, but there's the quick lane bowl that's in Detroit. There's the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. That's in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. The Bad uh, the Pinstripe Bowl in Yankee Stadium. Uh, The Duke's Mayo Bowl. That's in Charlotte. The uh, Music City Bowl. That's in Nashville. And the uh, ReliaQuest Bowl. That is in Tampa. Uh, There are some others here. Like the Cheese... uh, I mean, they're not going to the Citrus Bowl. So, I mean, those are six games. And uh, you know what? Quickly, I'll rank my preferred locations. Um, All right. Let's hear it. At the bottom end of the list... Detroit. I don't want to go to Detroit. Do you want to go to Detroit? I don't want to go to Detroit. So I'll give mine after you give yours. All right. So Detroit, <laughs> Detroit is six at number five is the pinstripe Bowl. I don't mind New York city kind of like it, but the press box situation there horrible. And I thought that the media relations, not ideal, not ideal. Cause it's just, it's just another event. You know, it's just like a, a little, a little event in a city that's so big. So uh, the pinstripe bowl would be, my number, uh, my number five. Uh, number three would be oh, excuse four. Number, yeah, just <laughs> Chill. Number four would be Tampa. They rely on yeah. Bowl. I don't think that's a possibility either. Uh, anyways, I'm pretty sure that's. I'm pretty sure that is the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Hall of Fame slash Outback Bowl. But that would be four because I've, I've been to Tampa a bunch. I don't need to go again. Uh, number three would be Charlotte and the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I don't really uh, have any interest other than to see potentially, potentially the Mayo draped over jim leonard ted that would be funny it would have been a lot funnier with paul christ number two on my list is in arizona i would say eh, phoenix and phoenix in december i could get on board with it's just the fact that that game oh it's at chase field i thought it was going to be out at, at their other stadium which is not anywhere close i guess i don't know where chase field is but i feel like it'd be good I, i'd be okay going to phoenix in late in late december and number one easy for me is nashville and the music city bowl that would be my preference i love nashville there's so much to do there and uh, while it's not going to be extremely warm it's not going to be extremely cold either and so i think you know 50s that's all good that'd be my that'd be my choice there's there's so much to do in nashville it's a nice city and wisconsin hasn't been there i believe since 2003 so yeah that'd be my that'd be my number 1
1: well, obviously, this is all about us, uh, so I hope that we have a vote in where our Wisconsin ultimately <laughs> winds up. We're we're pretty damn close in our six. Uh, number six for me is Detroit because um, who would willingly want to be in Detroit in late December for your bowl destination? Nobody. Uh, number five is the Pinstripe Bowl, which matches yours. Uh, I think the best thing to come out of that bowl was that they gave reporters uh, a very warm winter beanie that I was they able to wear for a year or two while I was uh, snow blowing the driveway but i hate hearing the trash being picked up at like 3 a.m. <laughs> the 3 sirens uh, sirens, the all sirens the time. yeah um not not the best bowl destination i would say no. uh, it's also freaking freezing in the yes. open air press box as you referenced it's uh yeah uh, the spectacle wore off very quickly for that one <laughs> i've got the re- relya quest in tampa at number 4 as well uh, the well, last time was uh, I think I was there was the was that the Outback Bowl was that the Melvin Gordon Outback Bowl? No, was, we was there a Tampa we went, one in
0: there? We went to South Florida oh, for the opener. You're right, you're
1: right, but that wasn't a bowl game. Uh, no, um, yes, the, the previously to uh, that, yes, 2014. I'll, t- I'll tell you this: I think they call Tampa the strip club capital of the world, which <laughs> can be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I didn't stay in the media hotel the last time; I was at some motel between three strip clubs and. um <laughs> I don't know how safe I felt. I made it out alive, so that's why that's number four. Where I, we I always, flip?
0: <laughs> I, I I always find it hilarious when you tell that story because you all you choose you got to choose where you stayed too. Like you, well, you made, I was you at made a different the company then. I was at a different now, now company you're, then. And Now you're a Marriott guy wherever you go, aren't you? No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay, all
1: uh, right. I probably should be. I'm the only sports writer in America who isn't. <laughs> uh, I think we, so. We flip on three and two. I will put the guaranteed rate bullet number three. And the only reason I'm putting it at number three is because that game begins at nine 15 central, eight 15 mountain time. And um, you know, I hate night games. I hate covering (laughs) night games. I hate leaving a stadium at 3 AM and then boarding a flight at 6 AM. Again, this is all about me. So that's why I've got, that's why I've got the Duke's mail bowl at number two. I think Charlotte in December sounds okay to me and music city bowl. Number one, I'll be honest. I think the entire badger media contingent is rooting for uh, music city bowl. I've never been to Nashville. I'd love to see it. Uh, No matter what, though, I guess we'll have an opportunity to see one more game in this beautiful season.
0: Yeah, uh, beautiful season. All in the the eye of the beholder, right? Um, (laughs) It's been something. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, Kyle says, why is targeting so inconsistent in your mind?
1: Because I think it's... A judgment call in the moment and then <laughs> it shouldn't i mean the, that's why you've got the replay review to potentially overturn a bad call but i don't know i guess because we're humans
0: if the games were officiated by robots it'd probably be different uh we, we kind of talked about this before but uh randy says does mertz coming back next year really give the badgers their best chance at success or does leonard or the whoever this head coach need to have a hard talk and say it's time to move on. He continues to be incapable of taking this team where it needs to go, even if he pulled it out today.
1: You know, I don't know that they would tell, I don't know that they would tell him it's time to move on again. He hasn't had, you know, he's had some difficult moments and hasn't had his best games here the last few weeks, but this is a career year. He's got what? 19 touchdown passes to this point, And he's done some good things. I think it comes down to, they're going to have to attack the transfer portal. They just have to, uh, that's where they're at with their roster right now. The quarterback they're bringing in to me is a bit of a project and you've got a fifth year guy with chase Wolf that you don't know whether he's going to be back, but even if he is, he's a career backup. So to me, it comes back to uh, if you identify someone in the portal and you believe that they're going to be the guy and have a chance to start, then that would change things for, for Graham's career trajectory. But until that happens, and even if that happens, I don't know that you would ever push Graham out the door. Now he may choose to leave if he doesn't believe he's going to be the starter, but that's a different conversation.
0: I I actually I mean I don't think it's a different conversation. I think it's if you're going to attack the transfer portal and you're going to go and get somebody well yeah that you, you that's know, fair. Like to me that's that's having the hard talk. Like you, <laughs> in yeah, that, that moment fair. It's, that's it's, fair. it's it's like and it's then, like uh oh it's time to move on Oh, you, you okay well, I don't want to have the conversation. I'm just going to go after Caleb Williams or I'm just well, going to go after I'm going to go after this quarterback or that quarterback and if he gets in if we get him we get him if we don't we don't. If you're here you're here if you're not you're not. Well, now, the other thing- now, now that was not the case this past offseason. Like, uh, Paul Chris has continually said that he had no role in the Caleb Williams thing, whether you believe that or not, whatever. It was clear that Wisconsin was uh, interested in landing him, and Graham knew about it, and Graham had to deal with it. But he didn't end up coming here, so it's not like it was something he had to physically deal with. And it was at that point in the offseason, like, where is Graham going to go at that point? You know, this offseason, there's, I think, a lot more options if if that were to happen.
1: I think it also depends on what they believe they would have with whoever they bring in as a transfer. Cause it could also be a situation where you don't know who's necessarily going to be the best guy. And, and I don't well, know that. Would I Graham want to going, compete for that? Well, I mean, you know, that, that's another question that, that only he can answer. And, and I don't know. I mean, if, if it's all about competition at every spot, then quarterback should be no different, which is something that he said to us I think, yes. er, er, when, when this happened now, I mean, he, he often says the right things and I don't know if that's, what he actually thinks. But at the same time, like if you bring somebody in and, and they believe it can be a competition, he may embrace it. I honestly, I don't know, but um, there's just so many questions that have to be answered at this point. But what I would say is I think it makes all the sense in the world to explore the transfer portal. And, you know, if that ultimately alienates Graham, then that's something that the staff is going to have to consider, but they do it at all the other positions. And a guy like Alex Smith didn't feel some type of way about them bringing in three cornerbacks. He just got better and became one of the best cornerbacks on the team. Now, I know quarterback is a little bit different, but uh, I'm just saying we don't know what's going to happen is the point.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, Uh, Buffy Patrick says there's obviously a lot that needs to change, improve for next season, but if you can only pick one thing that improves this with this football season, what would you choose?
1: The one thing that I think needs the most improvement? Yeah.
0: Well, it's the offense,
1: and I guess the question is – is it bringing in a new offensive coordinator? <laughs> right. um, and and again, that's another question that only Leonard can answer, and it's not one he can answer now. And whenever we have these conversations, it's, it's tough because I always want to acknowledge we're talking about people's livelihoods. And so I'm not going to say that somebody should be fired um, that puts all their time into this, but at the same time, I can't sit here and say that the offense is markedly better than it's been the last two seasons. This is three straight years where the offense has not been at the level that it needs to be. And maybe you do need somebody else that can come in. And uh, especially if Jim Leonard wants to put his imprint on it and, and we don't know what he would want his offense to look like, but it starts with being as dynamic as possible.
0: This kind of is in that, in that vein in talking about you know the offense and Bobby Ingram and that like, but uh, Pete says uh, dream scenario. Badger football hires Jim Leonard full time. Leonard goes out and gets uh, Sean Lewis from Kent State, mm-hmm. the head coach there, former Badger, to take over the offense, and Bobby April gets promoted to defensive coordinator. Thoughts on that, Jesse? Because uh, you've, you've mentioned you've mentioned this think, before, haven't you?
1: I would say I think that's a pretty good situation for Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, that, again, this, Leonard's got to make these decisions but Sean Lewis as an offensive mind is very intriguing. I know Kent state isn't having a great season, but he did some really good things as a head coach there. And, and there's a lot to figure out, but I I mentioned this before. I wrote about it, that the salary that he's making at Kent state is about half what Bobby Ingram is making a million dollars that he's making as offensive coordinator. So some people may scoff at the notion of a coach be going from a head coach to a coordinator role. But if it's a head coach at a max school and you feel like maybe you've maxed out what you can do there and you don't get some of the other head coaching jobs at that time maybe it would be time to make a move. So um, I think that would be a very intriguing situation for Wisconsin. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bobby April ends up being the defensive coordinator. Remember now he interviewed for the defensive coordinator job with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan um, a year or two ago. So that is clearly the next step for him. And and if Jim Leonard's going to be the head coach, you know, it's pretty hard to also be the defensive coordinator. It's not impossible. Some coaches have done it, but I, I think that could be a possibility. We'll see.
0: Next question says, rank the fan, not stat, level of frustration between Joel Stave, Alex Hornibrook, and Graham Mertz. Whoa. This is blowing my mind. Um, Stave's got to be at the top. Look, I shouldn't say that. It's got to be either Stave or, or, um, or Mertz at the top. Hornibrook was the starter for what? two and a half years. But the fact that Joel Stavi was there in 2012 and was still around in 2015 and like, he was the backup everybody wanted in 2012. And then by 2015, everyone's like, please get somebody else in here. And
1: yeah. Um, I think Stavi's probably won. Honestly, I think that the vitriol by the end was a up former walk-on and, was, was interesting as you like to point out all time winningest quarterback in Wisconsin program history. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we could relitigate. Uh, I mean, his he had an, an entire season wrecked by Gary Anderson. And, and uh, I think he, when you look yeah. at his legacy, that has to be factored into the equation. But that's part of it is people just get tired of seeing somebody over four years. And his sophomore year was his best year. He threw 22 touchdowns that season and so wasn't able to have a season like that afterward. With Graham, I think it's at least been a steady build um, where he's playing his best ball. It's just that he's in a different category because the expectations coming in were unlike anything we've seen by, from a high school quarterback.
0: Yes, I agree. Carter says was quarterback sneak, the biggest moment of Mertz's career.
1: Ooh. Um, Mm. eh. it was a one yard sneak. I don't know. I, I don't think so. I mean, the, what happened in that fourth quarter, I think, uh, has got to rank right up there. Um, I mean, the biggest moment, the starting debut, was like, (laughs) who is this guy? Like, is he going to win two Heismans and be an All-American? But, like, they hadn't come back, like you said, like that since 2018, which means it hadn't happened under under Graham's watch. And so for them to be able to come back like that and him spearheaded, again, says a lot about him. Now he helped put them in that position by having a poor first half. But this has got to rank right up there in his fourth quarter with with the accomplishments that he's had here to, to date.
0: It's kind of funny. We, we talk about comebacks and this, the first one since 2018. And that, that obviously is the case in Paul, Chris first two years, they had six. Amazing. It's Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Five. I was giving him credit for the Auburn one. Uh, Cause it was 2015, but it was the obviously January 1st, 2015, but yeah, Nebraska in 2015 down there where uh, Rafael Gaglioni kicked the game winner, had two chances to kick game, game winner. Got it my second time. Uh, they beat USC in the bowl game, coming back from from that. Uh, another Gaglianoni field goal to win it. LSU, maybe maybe just Hoff was that man. And then uh, Georgia State, they came back. And uh, was that Hornibrook's? Yeah, Hornibrook came on the in the middle. Yeah, came on in the middle of yep. that game. And then the Minnesota game at the end of that year to go to the Big Ten Championship game down, they were 17-10. to 10. That's kind of crazy that it happened five times in the first two years and now just once in the last, what, uh, six. So good job getting it done. They got it done and now they will take on Minnesota on Saturday. W- what are your, what are your feelings about this one, Jesse? I, I mean, Minnesota has to feel let down after what happened on Saturday night. They had a chance to potentially get to the big 10 championship game. If they could have figured out a way to get that game, uh, could have, fi- I should say, figure out a way to finish in the red zone, which they could not do. I mean, Mo Ibrahim, what does he have left? I think he carried like close to 40 times, probably a very, very physical game for them. And now have to come in uh, and face another physical team in Wisconsin, but I, I just don't know what Wisconsin offense is going to show up. And if they're able yeah. to run the ball against Minnesota, which a lot of teams have not been able to do this year, that'd be a huge lift. But w- where are your feelings on this?
1: Part of me wonders what Wisconsin has left after everything they've yeah. been through. On the other hand, it's this th- it's the ax and like, that's all that matters. And they're coming off a game. I mean, last time they played them, they had a chance to go to the big 10 West, uh, win the big 10 West, go to the conference championship game and they blew it. So, uh, I think that trumps everything at this point. And I think they'll be they'll be ready. And it comes down to Wisconsin playing good defense and running the ball well with with the three running backs that they have. And maybe Graham can make just enough plays. So it's going to be fun. It always is in this matchup.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, the Axe makes its return to Camp Randall. We'll see if they can actually keep it there. I, I always feel like the team that and, – and this obviously doesn't look very good for Minnesota because they went 14 years between wins. But I always feel like the team that has – that doesn't have the ax feels like it has uh, more of the motivation and the more, and especially at Wisconsin where it had been there for so long and now you've lost it twice in the last four years. And and I remember last, the last time leading in the, or the 2019 off season that they, they would just leave pictures of like oh. PJ Fleck with the ax in the, in, where the ax was supposed to be like uh, in the, in the trophy case. So yeah, I, I look at this game and I, I feel like Wisconsin's going to play uh, hard. They are favored by three. So it's essentially a pick them for Vegas and, We'll see. What you have a you have a prediction? What do you got? Wisconsin finds way
1: too early in the week. <laughs>
0: Just, do you I think guess. Wisconsin finds a way?
1: Uh, I'll say yeah, because okay. because maybe that gets them closer to the Music City Bowl, baby.
0: <laughs> oh, you can't spell media without me and I. Um, That's all right. So, all right, Jesse, thank you very much. We'll catch up next week. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from the Athletic. You've been listening to the camp.